You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Father, what a privilege it is to come into your house and to worship the awesome name of our God and Savior. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called children of the Almighty God. What an amazing truth. We can scarcely understand it and hardly believe it, but it is absolutely true. Thank you for the privilege of lifting high the name of Jesus. What a, what a soul-altering experience this is always when we come together. Thank you this morning, Father, not just for the the privilege, but also for the responsibility that we have as your children to to come into your house and to open up the word for me, the responsibility to preach it, for those before me, the responsibility to hear it and to accept it and to live it for all of us. Father, we pray today that not one word of what you have for us will be lost. May your word quicken to our hearts, O Lord. May your word quicken to our consciences. May your word quicken to our souls as we delight in you and devote to you and display Jesus in all that we think and say and do. Father, we live this life for you and for your glory alone. May even this aspect of preaching and listening be to your delight, Lord. We pray you'd find us faithful, God. We pray you'd find us true and sincere and authentically real. Reveal to us your glory now, God, as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you again this morning, opening up uh, God's Word together. Uh, you can turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and also turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to go between both passages. Just kind of get your fingers in those places and hold on to them. If you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up. Our ushers uh, want to get a copy of God's Word in your hand so you can uh, follow along. This is a, a book that will change your life because it's going to point you to Jesus Christ uh, every time you open it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're really in a second part of a sermon uh, on uh, displaying Jesus Christ. For the last uh, four weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and studying through the three D's of discipleship, renewing our hearts and focus on discipleship. And, and following Jesus is so much more than saying a prayer and coming to church. It's having a heart that's been changed by Jesus. It's, it's a heart that's repentant, turning from your sin, a heart that's putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And as we do that, as we do that, what happens is our hearts open up to delighting in Jesus, being devoted to Jesus, and then displaying Jesus with our lives each and every day. Here's the truth we want to be, we've been looking at for the last two weeks is, is this. Uh, God's plan for revealing himself to the world is twofold. It's Jesus and it's your life and my life. This is God's plan for the world to know him. It's Jesus Christ and our lives. Yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's to be on public display each and every day. To reveal Jesus to the world. Let's be honest, we love to reveal where we stand on certain things to the world, don't we? We, we love to reveal our sports teams. We've got the little leaf flag up at playoff time, even though we know it's only going to be one series. 
We put the little Blue Jay logo on our, on our bumper of our car because we want the world to know that we're Jays fans. Think about politics. We're not shy in sharing where we stand on certain sides of the agenda, are we? No, I want to make the world, let the world know I stand here. Even with social issues of the day, we're really quick to let everyone know exactly where we stand and why we stand there, why everyone else should stand there too. But what about when it comes to Jesus Christ? Our ultimate desire as believers is to display to the world our allegiance to Jesus so that the world might see Jesus Christ. How does Jesus make himself known through our lives? It's through holiness, it's through obedience, it's through the four things we see on the screen behind me, loving freely and serving sacrificially and giving generously and proclaiming openly full reality. Your life exists now as a follower, as a saved Blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ, your life exists. Your life exists not for you, but to display Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? And this is where God's taking us today. We're just going to finish up the series of the last two things on the screen here. How do I display Jesus Christ? Uh, by giving generously and proclaiming openly. And people see Jesus in me. Let's just get to it. Number one, when I give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. Let me read it for you, as well as Deuteronomy 15, 10. Then we're going to unpack this, I pray, in a way that doesn't just move our minds, but moves our hearts to the full reality of really delighting and being devoted to Jesus Christ through our whole lives. The cheerful giver. The point is this, the scripture says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Same thing it says in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 15.10. It says this, You shall give to him freely, Give of your resources freely to the Lord, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him. For this is the Lord your God, and he will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. One of the clear calls of Scripture is our, as being followers of Jesus Christ that we don't often talk about, that we're often shy in even talking about is this, that if we truly want to display Jesus Christ, one of the most effective ways to do it is to live lives that are, that are openly generous to, the, to, to give to God and others what God has blessed us with. A little context for this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Uh, this is Paul taking up a love offering for the many needy saints in Jerusalem. The, the, the church in Jerusalem was a poor church. After Pentecost, all the scattered Jews came back, but they came back to persecution and poor economy, and they were left destitute. They had nothing. And so who's going to care for this church? How's the work going to keep going? How are these people going to survive? The rest of the saints are going to do that. Out of the generosity of their hearts and an overflow of their hearts, what God's already blessed them with. Beginning of chapter 8, uh, getting into this whole text on giving, it's longer than this passage is read to you. Uh, if you look at, flip over to chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, it says encouragement to give generously. There's a whole couple chapters on this topic. Uh, what Paul is doing is he's making a plea for uh, the, the churches to be generous as a way of expressing the character of God. And he uses the Macedonian church as an example. He's in chapter 9 saying to the Corinthian church, hey guys, why don't we take up an offering for these people? But, and as you do it, don't forget the uh, Macedonians. They were also a church that was uh, not very wealthy. They were very poor. 
They were a church that had been ravaged by the government. They were a church that lived in extreme poverty. And yet it says in chapter 8 that they gave, verse 3, according to their means and even beyond their means. And so he's saying in, in me calling you as a church to give, don't forget those who sacrificially give, who really have nothing, but they still give. And so he's reminding his people that one of the calls of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to give him all of us, including our resources. Already I can tell you guys are like, oh man, this is going to be a little awkward. It's hitting pretty close to home. Can I assure you it's not just awkward from there, it's also awkward from here as I preach this. I know it's getting personal. I know it's getting to what we hold on to tightest, tightly, most tightly, most of us. And even from this perspective, the last thing I want you to do is think of me as a televangelist or to think that we want your money more than we care about you because we don't care about your money more than we care about you 100%. Get it? Do you get it? In fact, in the seven and a half years I've been here, I've only spoken about money two or three times when it's come up in the text. And, and maybe on, to my shame, I've been shy to go this way because of the negative connotation that comes with the pastor preaching on money. And yet, as I study the scriptures, I realize that to be a good under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, to really care for the flock, I have to teach on money. I have to. Why do you have to, Pastor? Because the Bible is so clear that, that money is so connected to our hearts. And the full reality of the Bible teaches that money is not evil in and of itself. It's not wrong to have money, but it, it's wrong to allow money to grip us. And it's a front to God when we grip our money more closely or more tightly than we grip Him. And so that's the danger. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have possessions, but it's wrong if, if we let money grab a hold of us. It's wrong if we hold too tightly to it. And this isn't just for the poor that this struggle happens. It's, the rich, or it's not just for the rich. It's also for the poor. The rich, you know, of course, we go, well, the rich, they're all about money, and it controls them. It defines them, and they use it for power and prestige. And that might be true. might not be true. But think about the poor. The poor also have a struggle with money because sometimes the poor envy a lot the people who have more. And they strive for money more than they even strive for Jesus. They think, if only I had more not Jesus, more money, then my life would be complete. It's a struggle for all of us. And the Bible is very clear on teaching on money. The Bible highlights money a lot. Money's a big deal. The way we steward our money is a big deal to God. And get this, in fact, uh, nearly half of Jesus' parables are speaking about money and possessions. One in seven verses in the New Testament, I was astounded by this fact, one in seven verses in the New Testament talk about our money and possessions. The Bible offers us 500 verses on prayer, almost 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on stewarding our money and possessions. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus taught was on this topic, more than all of his teachings on heaven and hell combined. So prominent is money a reflection of our heart and our commitment to Christ that Martin Luther said this, there are three conversions a person needs, a conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the pocketbook. So I'm not talking to you because our church needs money right now. In fact, if you're thinking that already, can I tell you this? Keep your money in your pocket. We don't need it that bad. Honestly. I'm telling you this because this is a way that you reflect the glory of God in your life as you interact with others. The world holds so tightly. The world's like, it's mine, and I'm going to save it, and I'm going to hoard it, and I'm going to live it up. And Christians are like, we don't have to save it and hoard it and live it up because we already have everything we need. His name is Jesus. And everything I have is his. 
My life is simply in trust. It's not mine, it's in trust. My possessions are in trust. And all that I have has God's name on it, not mine. So let's just unpack for us a little bit about God's heart on money from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Three quick points from this text that I want to point out to you. Look at verse 6. The point in Paul asking for money in God, telling us that the way we handle our money actually displays our attitudes towards him. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Simply put, you give little, you're going to get little. Give much, you're going to receive much. It's, it's not even like a, uh, I'm going to give to receive. That's not the right heart. This is a farming analogy. And, and so, you know, you, you don't put the time in and cultivating the land and sowing the seed. Chances are when harvest comes, what are you going to get? Not as much as your neighbor who actually took time to plant the seed and cultivate the land and really be diligent in his work. If you just go out and scatter some seeds and think that somehow you're going to be just a couple of them, there's a little bit of seed and somehow think you're going to get a good crop at harvest, you're fooling yourself. Uh, those who sow seeds, many seeds, with, with heart and enthusiasm are those who are going to get the harvest. The same is true of the biblical principle on giving. Those who sow little are going to get little. Those who sow much are going to get much. It's like the entrepreneur that doesn't put any work into his business and somehow he thinks he should be as well off as the guy who's working night and day to, to put works into his business. That doesn't make sense. When it comes to our resources, it's the exact same thing. Again, this isn't the prosperity gospel. This is not, see what it says? You're, you're reading it, right? You're reading it for yourself. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So I'm not making this up. But this isn't the prosperity gospel where you're going out of here thinking, oh, great, if this is the case, then I'm going to put 100 bucks in the plate next week, and I'm going to for sure get 150 bucks sometime in the mail or some way the week after. That's not how it works. We don't give so we can get, although God promises to bless us bountifully. What do you think of bountifully? It means a lot, right? A bountiful harvest means that the, that the, the tractors, the, the wagons are overflowing. A bountiful uh, return from Christ means that we're overflowing with what? With, first and foremost, spiritual blessings. That's the greatest blessing we can get. Money can sometimes be a curse. You know that, right? The greatest blessing we can get from giving to the Lord is the spiritual blessings of seeing my life being changed as the grip of money being lessened. And seeing that others' lives are changed as a result of my giving to the Lord. Result of seeing God's kingdom growing because of my eternal investment that is going to have dividends, better ones than this world can offer. There's, there's a spiritual blessing in those things. But I don't think it's just limited to spiritually. I think clearly we see in scriptures that God does bless bountifully those who give, and he will bless them bountifully. But, but the difference is it's not to bless bountifully so that I can say, look, at now I'm going to give God a little bit so that I can get more for myself, myself, myself. The principle that Paul's trying to teach is this. You give and you keep your open hands to the Lord with your finances and your possessions. God's going to fill those hands. He's going to keep filling them, but it's not so that you can one day clench them and hold them close. It's so that you can keep reinvesting all those resources in the kingdom of God. God honors that in a way that he blesses you. God is pleased when we give joyfully to the things of him. It shows our hearts for him. Even already at this point, I have to stop and ask myself, and I'll ask you the same questions I ask myself all week. How am I using my money to sow 
spiritual fruit for the Lord or spiritual seeds? Am I begrudgingly? Am I giving money or am I hoarding it for myself? Am I open to say, God, this is yours and everything I have is yours? Psalm 124, everything in the earth is the Lord's. Everything in it is the Lord's already. Am I, am I living my life that way? Or am I compartmentalizing things and thinking that I display Christ in the spiritual realm but not in the physical realm? Am I honoring Christ with my money? God blesses those who give freely. Number two, God loves it when I give with joy. God loves it when I give with joy. Look, look at this. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. So not what the preacher says to give, but what's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is delighted with the fact that we are so eager to give him our resources back to him. Why is that? Because giving displays that God is most important and not the person that's found on the coin or on the bill. Giving shows God that he's most important, that we absolutely trust him in everything. Matthew 6, 24 says this when it comes to our idea of, of giving and loving the Lord more than our things. Uh, no one can serve two masters. For either, hate the, either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Look at this. You cannot serve. Not you should not. Not you might not be able to. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Or money. Money is associated with the, any entity that promises, or mammon is associated with any entity that promises wealth and the greedy pursuit of gain. You can't serve and pursue Christ and material possessions at the exact same time. It's impossible. One's going grab to grab your heart more than the other. The reality for us as disciples is God has a non-compete clause with his disciples. God has a non-compete clause with his disciples. You're either all for me or you're not. Why is that? Because, because scriptures teach us from Old to New Testament that God's a jealous God. He's jealous in the good sense. He wants all of our hearts. He loves us so much. He wants all of our hearts. Just like, quite honestly, jealousy is not always a negative thing. If a husband is jealous of his wife, for his wife, because she's flirting with another man or another man's flirting with her, that is a good kind of jealousy. It shows the husband actually loves his wife. Amen? The kind of husband that loves his wife would be like, okay, go flirt with him. None that I know. Because he loves her. God's the same with us. And he sees us flirting with finances and, and pursuing the mistress of money. He's, he's jealous. And he's like, hey, what about me? Like, I'm the one who gave my son to die for you on the cross. I, I'm the one who loves you more than you can ever be loved on this earth. What about me? God loves it when I give with joy. Quite honestly, I think it not just hurts him, but a little, little bit ticks him off when I hold more tightly to my money than my Lord. That's what he says here in verse 7. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. You give with the amount of faith you have, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
but eagerly with joy, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give joyfully and eagerly, like we give Christmas presents. This stage of the game, I don't need anything for Christmas. I don't really want anything for Christmas. The greatest delight is truly in giving. And when we go to the Christmas tree at Christmas, hopefully none of you are going there like, oh, I had to buy all these stinking gifts for my family. Enjoy the stupid gift, honey. Cost me a lot of money. Anyone go to the Christmas tree like that? No, if you love them, you, you joyfully, you shop for the right gift, you look for it, and you, you find the one that you know is going to bring the biggest smile within your means to the person in front of you because you love them. That's the way God longs for us to give our resources to him and to others. With a joy, with a smile, with a happiness because we absolutely love him. Not with reluctance or compulsion. It's not because we have to do this because it's part of our discipleship. Dude, oh, I signed up to be a Christian. Now I've got to give my stinking 10%. have to buy taxes. Got to buy food. Got to buy the little rascal's clothes. And I've got to give his due. Okay, God, here's your money. God's not honored by that. He doesn't ask us to give that way. In fact, I think he'd probably prefer we don't give at all because we wouldn't be fooling ourselves and thinking we're more spiritual than we really are. As he gave his son freely for us, he wants us to say freely back, I give you, I give you. And it's, it's sending a message to the world. It's sending a lot of messages to the world. One of the messages it's sending to the world is this. It's, it's showing that, that, that we put our trust in God and that we, we're trusting that God is always going to sustain us. Look at verse 8. God loves a cheerful giver, just like when I love cheerful gifts given to me. God loves when we give him cheerful gifts. It's how we worship him. It's how we love him. Verse 8, and God is able, and all these things, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, get this, all sufficiency in all things at how many times? See that word all? Like I think he's giving a pretty clear indication. It's a, all the time and everything. It's complete. You may abound in every good work. This is one of the greatest ways that we show the world that our dependence is not on ourselves. It's not on our jobs. It's not on the same things they depend upon. Our dependence is first and foremost on God. And the more we give, the more we're saying, I trust God. I trust God. How can you give so much? You don't have very much, but I trust God. The world's like, that doesn't make sense but I believe his promises are true. Philippians 4.19, my God is grace is sufficient. He'll provide for all of our needs. And my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. I believe truly, Romans 8.32, God so freely gave us his son and why would he not graciously give us, same word as in this text, all things. Here's the thing, you give with a true heart, a heart of worship, a heart of joy, a generous heart, and God promises that we won't lack anything that we get this, not want, but need for his glory to fulfill his purposes. In other words, you have everything you possibly could possibly need. I don't have much. You have everything you can possibly need to fulfill all of God's purposes for your life. He's promised he's given it to you, and he promises he will always give it to you. Very clear text. We've studied it probably many times, and I'm not telling you anything new. That's the point of preaching, to be honest. You know that? It's not telling you new things that you leave here going like, wow, that pastor's so smart. Never heard that before. That might be heresy. 
It's not new. But it might be new in that you needed to hear it again today. This is one of those things that I could use every single week, but I'm not going to preach it every single week, but I need to preach it to my heart every single week because the allure of the world is so enticing and it's, it just pulls us in, doesn't it? We need to be reminded that we live differently as believers in Jesus. Here's the application to this whole thing. Give generously. Right in the right in the sub point, the application is like generosity rules. I think most of us are pretty generous people, to be honest, with ourselves. Isn't it true? We got our little budget, and I'm like this. I catch myself all the time, even grocery shopping. We got our little budget, and, and my wife will put things in the cart, and like, oh, we don't have the budget for that. And then I'll be sneak, I'll be sneaking my own little things in the cart, and she'll be like, what about no budget for this, but budget for that? I'm like, well, that's my stuff, you know. She's good with me. Oh no, 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 no. She doesn't let me away with it. We'll get to the till and she'll be like, put the, can you put this behind the thing, please? My husband put it in the car by accident. <laughs> Isn't it true we're so generous with ourselves? But, you know, here's my little budget. When it comes to others, like, oh, it's a little tight this month and I know you need, but I know it should be given to the Lord, but... Application for this is simply this. Generosity rules. God calls us to be generous in three different areas. To be generous towards his work. It, the church survives on the generous generosity of believers. And I'm kind of preaching to the choir because we've never lacked in our seven and a half years because you guys are so generous. I want to remind you that it's not just for the past, it's also for the present and the future. But God's work depends upon the generosity of believers. And my life depends upon it 100% too. In fact, Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 tells us that when it comes to this idea of giving... You know, we've minimized it in the church. They so don't want to teach on it anymore. When it comes to the area of giving, if we choose to not give God uh, what, a portion of what our income is, then we're actually robbing God. Read it, Malachi 3.8. They're like, how do we rob you, God? By your tithings and your offerings. You're generous to yourself. You're weak with me. Old Testament, you know, where should I start giving? Of course, it's the matter of faith you have. This is, you know, from the heart. I think it depends on where your faith is at. If you feel you can give like 3% and start there. Old Testament was 10%. We see that clearly, the tenth of what we have, the first fruits off the top, 10%. The debate is, is it like off gross or net? Like, stop nickel and diamond God. Be generous. They had a partial view of Jesus in the Old Testament, and they were given their 10%. We have a full view of Jesus in the New Testament. New Testament doesn't actually put a 10% on us. It says generously, cheerful heart. If you have the means, a good place to start is that 10%. Give to the church. If you can go more than that, go more than that. Like, it's not going to hurt you, that's for sure. I have to think of this in terms of the way we tip our waiters and waitresses. It used to be 10%. Happy with that. Went up to 15%. I'm, a little, I'm an honorary Dutchman, so I get a little worried about that 15%. <laughs> but let's think about it. We get 15% minimum wherever we go out for dinner, don't we? Even if the coffee's cold and you have to send the cutlery back, we give like, oh, this guy's a bad waiter. I'm only giving him 15% today. You ever said those words? No, because you're more spiritual than I am, maybe. <laughs> I've said those words. Then it dawned on me one day, I'm like, well, we give 15% for bad, wait, bad waiter, bad waitress, and yet we, we cap our giving at 10% to God. Like, what's wrong with that picture, don't you think? You ever thought about that? Like, what's wrong with that picture? Is that as good as God's been to you this year, your whole life? 10%? 
cheerful heart. And we want to grow in everything. I want to grow in patience this year. I want to grow in wisdom. What about growing in generosity? Every year, my wife and I aim to give a little more away. Some years you can't. This past year as we do our taxes, we were high-fiving each other because this year we gave more away than we'd ever given before in our lives. And to me, that's exciting. And, and even as I look at it, I'm like, but we couldn't have given that away because, but yet we still have everything we need and we don't even lack. That's how God works. Generosity with your church, the kingdom of God. Our church is even striving to be generous givers. We, we are aiming to give 20% away of everything that comes in to missions and to, and to other people. And we're not there yet. We're still in the infant stages of a church, but we're going there and we're growing in that. And, and we also want to be modeling as a church what, you're, what we're saying to, for you guys to live. We want to be giving generously to other things and other people. I'm going to highlight at the end some of those we're giving to. Know this, though. Even if you can't give a lot, you give what you can. No one's... Counting your giving. I'm not counting your giving. Our elders aren't counting your giving. I have no idea what anyone gives in the church, but my wife and I, and I like it that way. Don't tell me what you're giving, please. Uh, Luke chapter 21 says, you give whatever you can give. It's a story about a wealthy, wealthy in, in church can dumping all their money in the plate, thinking they're pretty proud of themselves. This little poor widow comes and drops two little coins and two little copper coins, maybe, maybe pennies. I don't know, copper coins? Copper, my, my language means pennies. And I'm sure everyone's like, look at this little lady. And Jesus is like, this is the one who truly gave. Doesn't matter how much you give. It's a matter of the heart. Be open with, be generous with God's kingdom. Be open-handed with other believers. I love the fact that families are supposed to take care of each other. And this is what our spiritual family is supposed to do as well. Take care of each other. I'm encouraged it's already happening in our church and it continues to happen with, with um, small groups and, and people that interact with people and, and even our compassion ministry, we're striving to take care of first and foremost those within our church. Be generous as you hear about needs. Don't just pray for them as James says and slap them on the back and send them on their way. If you have the means, meet that need. It's for your joy and actually displaying to people what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Be open-handed with other believers. I think that's a pretty self-explanatory one. What about this one? Be supportive of community needs. I believe, biblically, believers should be known for our generosity. Again, it's how we display Christ to the world, a generous God, a giving God. True, we can't give to everything, but we can give to some things. Causes, food drives, all kinds of ways that we can show generosity. You know, one of the little things my dad does, and he's pretty proud of himself for it, although he'd never tell you. He fills up a little Timmy's car. When he goes through the drive-thru, he says, well, what'd they get behind me if it's, if it's too much? He's like, ah, yeah, forget it. <laughs> Older generation, right? But if it's like a cup of coffee, he's like, I'll pay for them. And then he sits and watches their little smile as they, as, they, as, they, as they come out. Gets a kick out of it. A little way to be generous and show the world that we're not the same as they are. When it comes to the work of God, which I believe is, is one of the most important um, aspects of our giving, reality is, is every little bit counts. And God's honored by our gifts. little story to illustrate this, um, how we ought to be coming together as believers when it comes to this idea of giving and supporting others and supporting the ministry of Christ. Um, last Saturday, um, my brother-in-law's best friend was diving in Mexico. He's an expert diver, and um, he was diving with his mom, and he went... 150 feet and she stayed at 80 feet and he didn't come up 
And uh, all week they've been looking for him. And last yesterday called off the search. They can't, they can't find um, Cameron. Um, Ben's only friend in the world, really. It's been a really hard week for him and, and for us just in knowing uh, the family. Uh, but one of the things that really astounded me, though, is I was watching this whole thing all week long, like every two hours, I was watching the GoFundMe page to see if they found him, see if they found him, see if they found him. And one of the astounding things about watching this whole tragedy really unleash is, is from the very moment he went missing, um, people from all over the scuba community were like giving, giving, giving to this guy that they'd never met, but their scuba community is so tight that they were giving, giving, giving. And within a few days, they had raised, I had a picture, I don't know if it's on there, is there no picture on there? They had raised over $60,000 in just a few days to find this guy that they had never met. And the amazing thing to me as I looked at this page too was there was, there was one donation of $5,000. There was one donation of about $2,000. There was about eight donations of $1,000. Everything else was under that. Most gifts were between like 50 and 100 bucks. But everybody came together to find this lost diver And even $20 donations made a difference. It didn't matter what they could give, they just gave. I thought about that and I thought, man, shouldn't the church of Christ even be better than this? It's not a scuba community that's holding us together, it's faith in Jesus, it's our, it's our faith and and. We're not donating to the church to, to, to pat anyone's pockets, we're donating because there's, there's a bunch of missing people drowning in a sea of their sin that need a rescuer, that need a savior, that need Jesus Christ. And what can I do? I do my part. I share as we're going to talk about next, but I also give to the work of Christ. A couple people said on that GoFundMe page, there is so much at stake we can't afford not to give. There's so much at stake for us as believers, we can't afford not to give, and every little bit counts. I'm not saying here today, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't think about retirement or leaving an inheritance for your family. The Proverbs say that's a good thing, or taking care of what you already have. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying don't take a holiday, don't invest in your family so you'll have memories and, and share things together. I'm not even saying, I'm not saying give everything to the Lord. I'm saying invest in God's kingdom because that's what brings an eternal dividend and that's what shows the world the character of our gracious God who keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. Does not God keep giving to us? All things. Everything is of the Lord. Everything's from the Lord that we have. How do we respond to that? Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. And we give generously that the world might see the truth behind our message that Jesus is the only thing that truly matters to us, the only one that we truly live for. Give generously. God's pressing it on your heart today. It's not something that I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be faithful to the word of God. I'm not, I'm not trying to turn you upside down and shake you upside down and get all your nickels. This is between you and God. But if God's pressing into your heart today, maybe you need to be a little more generous. It's not because he needs it. He owns the key to the vault that funds every dollar in every bank in the world. He doesn't need it, but it's part of our discipleship to show the life of Christ growing in us, to show that we're becoming more like our Savior. And showing the world that God is so gracious 
Number two, Mark chapter 16, disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't just give generously. We also proclaim openly. Giving generously is an act of proclaiming openly as we do so to... um, Why do we give generously? To get the message of Jesus out to the world. Followers of Jesus also proclaim openly. We want the world to see and to know the same God that has means so much to us. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Are we truly following Jesus? Again, it's not a prayer we say. It's not just coming to church. We, we look at the four things. We love freely. We serve sacrificially. We give generously, but we also proclaim openly. One of the greatest delights of us as believers is to share the truth of Jesus with, with those that don't yet know him. This is why we live our lives. This is why God has left us here on this earth that we weren't vaporized into heaven once we accept Jesus Christ because there's work to do. There's a mission at hand and it's to make sure that every man, woman, and child knows the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the mission, the mandate, the message, and even the motive of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at the mandate in this passage. What's the first word? And he said to them, what's the first word he says? He said to them, go. This is Jesus right before he left them. He gave them his last kind of commission. He said this, go, go into all the world. This word go is not a passive word. It's it's an imperative word. It's an active word. Instead of wait and see, go and find. It's an intentional word. It's a deliberate word. This is what God calls us to do with our lives, intentionally invest them in spreading the gospel. Go into all the world. Most of you are saying, I know, I know, I know. I've heard this many times, I know. I think every time we hear this, a message like this, we respond the same way that my son responds when I ask him to go and take out the garbage. Hey, Zach, Thursday morning garbage day. Get going. Going, Dad. It's funny, I don't hear any feet moving at this point. Ten minutes later, hey, uh, got to go to school, Zach. Are you going to go and take out the garbage? Dad, I know. Awesome then it must mean he's doing something, right? On the way out the door, Zach, we have to get this. Did you take out the garbage yet? Dad! I know. Well, that's funny. Because in my books, when you know, you go. I think that's how a lot of times we respond to this text been in church more than a year, two years, like we know we're supposed to go and take the message. You, almost, you can almost get the like eye rolling in your heart going on. I can feel it. I can see it in some of you even. Go into all the world. Oh, another message on evangelism. Go into all the world. This is our mandate as believers. This is why we're still here. Yes, to delight in God. Yes, to devote to God. But the more we delight in God, the more we're devoted to God. Guess what? The more we long to share Jesus Christ with others. 
the more we can't help but share Jesus Christ with others. Go into all the world and proclaim. You can't maybe go into all the whole world, but you can go into your little world, and you can be a part of the body of Christ, which goes into all the world. Some of these commands of the Lord aren't for us individually. They're for us as a body. Only way we can fulfill them. Go into your little world and do what? Proclaim the gospel. This is the message. Proclaim the gospel. To proclaim something isn't to whisper something. It's not to beat around the bush and hope people get inferences about something. It's back in the olden days when they had uh, town criers before, before we had you know, Twitter and Facebook where we just did, here's our, here's our proclaiming now. Back in the olden days, they'd have a town crier and he'd go on the street corner and he'd, he'd bellow it out, hear ye, hear ye. Proclaim the gospel to all generations. Uh, hear ye, hear ye, whatever platform you have uh, to share Jesus Christ. Not a suggestion, not a possibility of a little spare time. It's proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. What's the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to proclaim. Not that Jesus is a good person. Not that he's going to make your life better. Not that you should agree with me and my theology. The gospel is so much deeper than that. It's what we're called to proclaim, to share, to talk about. Introvert, extrovert, shy, outgoing. We're called to proclaim the gospel with the personalities we've been given in the way God's called us to, to share. What's the gospel? Just to make sure no one here miss mishears and has a misunderstanding of the gospel. I even had a pastor a few years ago that came into my office and actually dropped a resume off for me um, because he wanted a job at our church even though we weren't hiring anyone. And so I just asked him a simple question, well, what's the gospel? Because he dropped it about five times. He's like, ooh, going deep on me, are you? I didn't think so. He had a hard time articulating the gospel. Here's the gospel to make sure you don't have a hard time articulating the gospel. You don't have to have a PhD in anything to articulate the gospel. You don't have to have all your theology down to articulate the gospel. Gospel is simply this. I put some Romans verses on there. It's called the Romans Road. It's really simple. The gospel is this, that we are all sinners. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all at the core sinful. We're all natural bent is to turn away from God rather than to God. In fact, Romans 3.10 tells us that we are so sinful we don't even seek God on our own. We're so wrapped up in our little world that we wouldn't even seek God on our own. That's how sinful we are. Depraved is what the Bible calls us. And the wages of that sin, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, is death. The result of that sin, both physical and spiritual, is death. It's, it's ultimately, you know, don't know Christ, it's hell, it's harsh, it's a holy God with a just punishment. Because God is holy and heaven is perfect. God can't abide in God or in heaven, then we are all completely done, correct? Incorrect. Because Romans, Romans chapter 5, 8 says that this is Christ's love. This is truly Christ's love. In that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' love is undeserving and unrelenting. Even in all of our rebellion against him, God still sent his son to die for us on the cross. And so now Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, all we have to do, it's a free gift. All we have to do, we confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts that Jesus is the only way and that he died and rose again. And guess what? We can have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. It's not believe the right theology or believe in yourself. It's believe in Jesus. Notice that. It's, it's believe in Jesus. This is so simple, isn't it? You're like, tell me something. It's so simple. We can't help but not share it. 
And then Romans 10 verse 13 says, if we do this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's amazing. It's the gospel message. When was the last time you shared the gospel message with somebody in your life? No, not debated all the ins and outs of the gospel as well as, well, did we choose Christ or did Christ choose us? And we got to debate all the, when was the last time you simply shared the gospel? Simple, pure, awesome reality that we are all sinners destined to die. None of us deserve to live. But in God's grace, he allows us to live and allows us to live eternally if we turn to him from our sin in repentance. It's not a message to be shy of. That's why I read that Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not shy of Jesus. I'm not embarrassed by the reality that I know Jesus. He saved me for goodness sakes. How can I be embarrassed of the one who saved me and gives me all things? When was the last time you shared the simple gospel with somebody? What's my motivation for this, you ask? Well, motivation is love. It's right here in the text. Verse 16, whoever believes and be baptized will be saved. It's loving God. It's loving Jesus. It's loving others. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Ultimately, we share Christ because we love Jesus and want Jesus to be known. He means so much to us. We want him to be known by everybody around us. You ever been in a room with a newly engaged couple? It's almost a little bit annoying, isn't it? (laughs) Have you met my new fiance? Yeah, three times, thanks. (laughs) You gotta meet the girl. Yeah, I already met her big smiles, like he, but they, they're going to be with me forever, they've changed my life. Same thing with Jesus. But this, Jesus, wouldn't it be a little odd, weird to claim to love someone and say that they've changed our lives and then none of the important people in our life know about them? In the same way, it'd be odd for someone to be getting engaged and not tell anyone about their fiance. You got married? When did that happen? I thought we were best friends. It's because we love Jesus. And and get this, one of the Holy Spirit's main role in our lives is to highlight Jesus, and he gives us a desire to do the same. We're not ashamed of Jesus. It's the power of God. Luke 9.26 says this, if you're ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says this, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. Because it shows you really don't love me. And it must show you really don't love people. For look at verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. If you love people, don't you want them not to like get a good education, not to become famous? Don't you want them to be saved? Isn't this the greatest news we could ever share with somebody? Oh, I hope you succeed. I don't, care. I don't care if people succeed, to be honest. We're not all going to succeed. But we can all be saved. Do you realize that people, look at this, whoever does not believe will be condemned? I use that Cameron illustration because this is, this is a true reality that we often forget. 
In a spiritual sense, everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ is a lost, missing diver who are going to be lost forever and never be reunited with their heavenly father. They're going to be in the abyss forever. But the abyss is a place called hell. Separated from all good. And the most important good is God. Bible calls hell a lake of fire. Jesus calls heaven the glorious place we all long to be. And he promises to rescue those, not whom we save, but whom he saves through our message. The motivation for sharing Christ is not to be right and prove everyone else wrong. It's not it. God, agree with me. The motivation to share Christ is that people would know Jesus. It's not so I can pat myself on the back and come to church and report like seven people came to Christ because of me. It's not it. It's because you love Jesus and you love them and you realize that, man, if they don't know Jesus, there's eternal consequences to this that you would not want to see your worst enemy go through. But on the flip side, there's immense joy. You want to save people from destruction and damnation, but you want to save people to a healing and a hope and a heaven through Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the church. This is why it overlaps with our fourth pillar. But it's not just the church. We are the church. It's part of being a, having a DNA of a true disciple. And God doesn't ask us for results. We can't produce results in our, we can't produce results in our sharing. All we can do is be faithful to share. But he gives us this privilege and this responsibility as believers. And so what do we do with this? Where do we go? Well, we start on our knees, clearly. We start on our knees. We're prayerful, right? Be prayerful. Start asking God for opportunities. Here's a couple questions. Here's a couple prayers God's not going to ignore in your life. God, will you give me opportunities to share my faith this week? God, will you give me courage to share my faith this week? And God, will we have spiritual impact through my life and the lives of others this week? Start praying. You can't do it, but God can. Be intentional. So my illustration, taking out the garbage, I think we know, we know, we know, but it takes us being intentional with those around us, worrying more about what God thinks than what other people are going to think opening our mouths, starting those conversations, being intentional with our family and our friends and our coworkers. Intentionality. If you never plan to share your faith, guess what? You're never going to do it. If it's always at the bottom of your list, it's going to stay there and you're going to go through your whole life and never share your faith and hear all the stories of everyone else, how God's using and all the glory stories of what God's doing in other people's lives. You're never going to experience this being intentional. It's being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God's going to allow you to be really forthright with your faith. Other times he's going to cause you to be a little, to keep the old yap closed, which some of us maybe need too. But, but be led by the Spirit. As you pray, God's going to, he's going to put on your heart the moment to open your mouth. He's going to put on your heart the moment to close your mouth. Let's be honest, not everyone's ready to hear the, the, the full extent of the gospel right now. And they're just, they've been hurt by church, they have negative. Uh, but but just, to start, just start sharing as long as you can share. And as long as they'll let you talk, you talk. The moment they shut you down, you stop. You just keep praying. 
So one of my officers this week told me it was like picking fruit or picking, picking peaches. Apparently, you, to pick peaches, you take a little rubber, rubber hose and you whack the peach, and if it's good, it just falls off the tree and into your hand. And if, if it's not ready yet, you, gotta like, you, you, you can whack it still, but it's, it's not going to be ripe. Apparently, if you try eating an unripe peach, which I never have, because why would you want to do that? Apparently, it's hard, and it's prickly, and it's sour, and whack it enough, and you get it off the tree, but it's bruised, and it still tastes maybe a little soft on top. It still tastes hard and sour and prickly. Our goal is to wait until God makes the sinner ripe to the gospel, and then just like with the gospel, and like let the fruit fall in your hand. Follow the Spirit's leading in this, and open your mouth in spite of your nerves, and Care for people more than you care about maybe your own reputation. And finally, it's this, is be bold. Be bold. I'm not talking about obnoxious or controversial bold. Maybe there's a time and a place for that sometimes. But I'm not sure the argument always wins a soul. I'm talking about being bold and courageous to share the message with urgency, simplicity, and, and clarity. Got to be honest, some of us don't need another course on don't need another course on evangelism. What we need is the courage of the Lord just to evangelize. Early church didn't have a 12-step guide. Okay, guys, come here, we're going to learn. No, they just they took what they had, they prayed hard, they went and shared the simple gospel message. It's as simple as that. And you can do that wherever you go. If you can talk, most of us can, you can share the gospel. Even if the person doesn't come to know Christ, you know what you leave after you share the gospel with joy in your heart and a fullness of the presence of God because you've been obedient to the calling of God. Don't have to remind you that our number one strategy for evangelism in our church is you, our people. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need all the ways of the world. We just have to live our life for the glory of God. You know one of the greatest things you can do to evangelize is simply invite someone to church. I read a stat this week. It's an American stat, so I'm not sure if it applies to Canada, but the American stat was 82% of people that were surveyed said that they would come to church if someone invited them, one of a friend invited them. The flip side of that stat is only 2% of believers ever invite someone to church. Crazy. We even provide opportunities for you to, to, do, to do this in our church. We have go teams. Go teams are ramping up for the summer. Every, every second week, we're going to have teams going out of here into the, into the world to share Christ, and you can go with them. You don't have to be like the strong spiritual person. You don't have to be the fluent one. Just go with them and learn and grow. The more you do it, the better off you'll be, the better you'll get at it. They're going to have an evangelism table at the back of the church next Sunday so you can get some information and get on board with that. Like, like go. We have go teams so that we will go and share Christ. Well, they're the goers. No, we're all the goers. Our missions focus is pray, give, go. You can, maybe you don't go overseas global, but you can pray for the missionaries overseas. You can give towards it, and you can even go on short-term trips. Um, put the next slide up. We have some pictures of all those that we're supporting right now as a church. We have one more to add after this week. Uh, we're going to pray for them on, on uh, Wednesday night at Prayer and Praise. But, but here's all the people we support. We don't have names on there or descriptions because I want you to go to the website and read it for yourself and really start praying for all of those people that are actively serving the Lord in, in full-time missions. God doesn't call all of us to full-time missions, but he calls in this way, but he calls all of us to support those in full-time missions. That's how we as a church fulfill our great commission. 
We need to know our missionaries and care about our missionaries and pray for them and give to them. And even if we have opportunity to go and serve them, like our, our team did in Costa Rica, what a great a privilege that was. And they all came back changed and fired up. Because God's called us to be on mission. Disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't just talk about Jesus, doesn't just know theology. We actually live Jesus in the way we delight, devote, and display him in our everyday lives. And the powerful thing is, is that Jesus Christ didn't just die to take away our sins. He died to empower us to this life. That's part of the gospel. Not that he just avoids sin now, but Jesus empowers us. The Holy Spirit within us creates delight. He gives us the desire to be devoted. He stirs within us a, a, a longing to, to, to display Jesus in everything that we do and say. And our role is to answer the question, will I choose today to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will I choose today to follow Jesus wholeheartedly or will I continue to sit on the sidelines, foot in, half foot in, half foot out, hoping for a better day? That may never come if you don't simply decide to follow Jesus today. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, the first step is to put your faith in Jesus. Sinners, all of us, need a Savior. Drowning, dying in our own sin. No hope of ever seeing our Heavenly Father or those we love for all of eternity. No hope of full life here on earth until we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to Him through faith and repentance. Turning from my sin, turning to Jesus then all this stuff will become alive to you and you'll start delighting and devoting and displaying Jesus Christ. Let me pray that this would be a meaningful and real uh, sermon series as we move forward in our church. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the reality of what it means that you've shown us to uh, display Jesus. God, I pray for every person in this room that we would leave here, even from this last four weeks, changed. We leave here on fire to live out the truths we've been talking about. Would you cause us, Father, to delight like never before? Would you cause us, Lord, to devote, maybe for the first time, but in a deeper way, would you cause us, God, that, uh, to be people who everything that we think and say and do brings glory to your name and displays the full reality of Jesus Christ? Would you protect us, God, from just being a little country club church who superficially does all the right things but misses the full heart, the full heart of what it means to be a disciple? God, we give you our lives. We want to live this life to the full. We won't leave a deep impact on this world when we're done. We want to full, know the full power of a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Please make this word, these words realities in our hearts. We can't do it. Maybe we don't want to do it. Maybe we do, we just can't. Make your word now come alive. In us we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.